Let's take our Bibles and let's head over to 1 John. 1 John for our Bible study. If you weren't with us this morning, we were talking about getting a grip on forgiveness. And uh, in my mind when I started this study, it was focusing on and where I wanted to be this morning, I thought it was going to be, is talking about forgiving one another. It's going to get there. We're going to be talking about it. In fact, we're going to be talking about situations that some of us may face, not quite the same, and yet they could be very identical to what an individual faced a number of years ago. Several of you have read the book, A Tramp for the Lord, Corey Ten Boom. You familiar with that? She was an individual who had been arrested by the Nazis, she and her family, because they had housed a number of people, Jewish people, who were uh, going to be persecuted by the Germans, the Nazis, and they hit them in their house. They were found out, and then as a result, they ended up in concentration camps. Years later, she's writing about her experience of what happened sometime when she was preaching after decades, maybe a decade or two, after it had all happened. She writes about this experience. I was in a church in Munich. That's when I saw him. A balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against all the others in the church service. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, I pictured him in a blue uniform and a visored cap with a skull and crossbones on it. It came back to me with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights. The pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor. The shame of all of us having to walk naked past this man. I could see in my mind's eye my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment of skin. Betsy, how thin you were, I had thought at that moment. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been our guard at the camp that was called Ravensbrook. Now he was standing there in front of me, hand thrust out, A fine message, Fraulein, he said. How good it is to know that, as you say, all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly about forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand that was stretched out to me. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him. I remember the leather crop swinging from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. The man went on. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me at all. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. But I, I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Will you forgive me? And again, his hand extended further. And I stood there. I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and could not reach out. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but it seemed to me to be hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do up to that point. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. Because Jesus said, if we do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it was not only as a commandment of God, but a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of this Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars 
those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with a coldness clutching at my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. The will can function regardless of the temperature of my heart. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ himself had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more from him? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I couldn't. I felt nothing, not the least, the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. That's when I took his hand, mechanically, woodenly. A most, most incredible thing happened then. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that, is not, that it is not on our forgiveness any more than our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his forgiveness. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, a, gives along with the command, the love to make it possible. But as we said this morning, it's so hard. It's so hard. That's why I think where we started this morning in Matthew 18 is so correct. If we're going to learn to forgive other people, we need to start with understanding how, does, how is it that God would forgive us. To get to comprehend this idea that God is willing to forgive us. We talked about this morning, if you weren't with us, in Matthew chapter 18, not a text that we're looking at this evening, but it's where Jesus is telling Peter, forgive 70 times 7. In that text, he talks about he has come to seek the lost sheep. He says you need to forgive 70 times 7. And then he goes on, he talks about how we need to be able to forgive even those who have done some dastardly huge sin or offense in our mind. And it's really pictured in that story by that man who borrowed the money from the ruler. And then the ruler says, you owe me 10,000 talents. That's what you borrowed. And the man's unable to pay, but he pleads with the ruler, don't put me in jail. And out of compassion, the ruler forgives him of all of that debt. And then we talked about this morning. This is so profound. The, the, the extent of 10,000 talents. Jesus is using it to picture that that man had, had a burden. He had a debt that was impossible for him to repay. And yet he was forgiven. Likewise, the picture is clear. We are just it's so indebted to God. We are so indebted to Christ. And yet he forgives us our sin. And based on his forgiveness, we have to be able to forgive those who would offend us. Because who are we to withhold from somebody after we've received such grace from God Almighty? That whole idea is just compounded even more by the fact that when we accept Christ as Savior and are forgiven, we still need God's forgiveness on a daily basis. So we were in 1 John this morning where we ended. And in 1 John, we read these, these verses in that first chapter where he starts in verse 5, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie, we do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, continually keeps on cleansing us from all sin. But if we say that we have no sin... He went on to point out, he says, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. Now, remember what we started off with or where we ended up this morning. This isn't written to the world, to the lost. This passage is written to believers. Several times he says we. Later in the book, he talks about that in another sense that we'll see in a moment. And this text is describing God's forgiveness, even for us beyond our salvation. And what did we point out this morning? We started off with number one in your notes. We said that this forgiveness is still needed by you and I who are believers. We still need it on a daily basis. Two reasons why God is in heaven, he is holy, and we who are on earth, we are unholy. We just read those verses about it. We read those verses that talked about that fact that even though we've accepted Christ as our Savior and we've been born again and given eternal life, we still need God's cleansing. We're not going to lose our salvation. We're secured because of what Christ has done. We are, we are held by him. We are kept by his saving grace. John chapter 10, Jesus had made the comment, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me. I give unto them what type of life? Eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them to me, he is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I, my Father, are one. We're kept secure by God. Good thing too, Right? If we had to keep ourselves saved, we would be in desperate straits. If we had to be kept saved by our church, we'd be in terrible trouble. It's by God's power and God's grace that we are kept in his hand. In fact, he made it very clear where he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful text. What a beautiful passage. comes right on the heels of where, John, or where Paul says, the things that I would, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. He says, there is a war within me, and I struggle, and who shall deliver me from this body of death? But then he goes on right with that next phrase, there is no condemnation. Even though I battle and I go up and down in my Christian life, I am not under condemnation because I am kept by the grace of God. Wonderful, marvelous. It it's, reminds me of a situation that I read here not too long ago about a man who was out duck hunting in Georgia. He was in one of those areas where it was swampy land, and yet it was dry that season. He was out there hunting, and when he was out there, all of a sudden he noticed smoke off in the distance. And as he watched it for just a couple minutes, the smoke was coming quicker. He realized it was a brush fire, and it was moving rapidly. He couldn't outrun it. He realized that his vehicle was quite a distance away. And so he did the one thing that he thought would save his life. He had some, some matches with him, so he lit a fire all the way around him and burnt out this one patch of land. And then, then this, the area that was now just ash, he laid down in the middle of that. And as the fire came, the fire rushed around him, but it didn't reburn that spot. Why not? It was already burnt. It's like that legal thing, no double jeopardy. The fire isn't going to burn something that's been burned. In that same way, we are not going to be condemned because of our sins because Jesus already took our condemnation. That's grace. That's love by the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet the apostle is saying we still need to confess sins. Not because we could put our, our salvation in jeopardy, but because of the fact that our daily walk with the Lord, our daily life as His children, we want His blessings, we want His answers of prayer. They could be disrupted by our sinfulness, by our lying, by our cheating, by our anger, by our, our upsetness when we're driving, by our jealousies, by our greed, by our covetousness, by our lust, whatever it may be. 
And so we want those blessings, and Jesus illustrated that. Once a man is completely bathed in that foot-washing experience, once you're bathed, you don't have to get bathed all over, but you do have to have your feet washed as you walk through life. And so that spiritual truth is profound. And it brings us back to this idea that even though we have been forgiven of our sins, past, present, and future, we still need to go to God and ask Him on a daily basis, a regular basis, forgive me when I've lost my temper with my wife. Forgive me when I've overreacted with my kids. Forgive me when I've, when I've gotten lazy. Forgive me when I've said something that I ought not to say. Please, Lord, forgive me. Because we still struggle with that sin on a regular basis. We looked at the, the passage where this morning it says that no matter what we say, we can say we have fellowship, but if we walk in darkness, then, then, we're, then we have a problem. And as we look there's, in the text, just to give you an overview, there's five different ifs in this passage that we just read. And if we were going to give a one-word or two-word answer to each one of those ifs, let, let me see if I can do it with this one, get that sense. God knows, because He's light, God knows our attitudes, our actions, how we respond to situations. So what we need to do is we need to be honest on a daily basis. We need to be honest. Not, not pretend when we're at church. Not cover it up. Not say something. We need to be honest and say, God, I've offended you. I've done wrong. Then he went on in that text and he says, God is constantly, verse 7, He is cleansing us. The idea is that we still have improvement. So what do we need to do? He talks about walking close to him, walking in light. That means, if you want to put one, two word there, be close to him. Be honest. Be close. Verse 8, where he talks about in that text about those who would deny and say that we have not sinned. He says the same thing in verse 10. That idea of we say we've never sinned. And we talk about the way that that's done in Christianity. Here's what we, where we ended up this morning. We said, hey, listen, you've got to get real. You've got to get real. This isn't the way it is. We still struggle. We still battle. Get real. And so then what do we do? Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. There's cleansing still to be done. We said that what we need to do according to this passage, this part of the passage, we need to admit everything. There's still a battle. What do we know about God's forgiveness as believers? Beyond our salvation, what about our sanctification, our daily growth? It's still needed. We still need his forgiveness. It's something that we cling to, that we need on a daily basis. Number two that stands out from this text is this. God's forgiveness to you and me who are believers is still available. It is still available. Uh, That seems so simple, and yet to me, if I meditate on it, it is extremely profound. It is extremely important because the idea that I understand from this text where he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. What it tells me is that God doesn't tire of us coming to him. God doesn't have a limitation God doesn't have a, a time where he says, okay, you know, that's it. I, you know, you've asked me two or three times. L- let me see if I can illustrate this way. In so many areas of our life, we have limitations. We have limitations like how many tickets can you get before you lose your license? Is it limitless in Pennsylvania? I don't know. Okay. Is, can you just keep on getting tickets on a regular basis and there's no consequence? Or can your tickets be, your license be pulled? Now, none of you want to say out loud because we're all going to assume you've experienced it. Okay? That wasn't the point of my question. There is a limit, though. The same thing happens in sports all the time. In sports, what do we think as fans when the player is out there who's a professional, but he drops the ball? Not once, not twice, but three times in a game. What happens to that player often? He, they end up pulling him out. 
Or we as fans say, get rid of them. Whether it be football or baseball, the guy strikes out so much, doesn't get hits. There's a limitation for him. Some of them, their careers end shortly because they don't perform up to a standard. The same thing happens in work. How many times can you be late for work before all of a sudden you might not have a job anymore? I don't know what it is for you, but some of you may have had that experience or some of you know that there's limitations. Some of you know that there's limitations on how many accidents can you have before your insurance says we drop you. You know, they're no longer going to insure you. Or let's put it this way. How many times do you have to be stood up by somebody on a date before you get the hint that you're not going to continue dating with that person? We have limitations in all areas of our life. Does God have a limitation on us? That, that's it. You, you've lost your temper three times. I'm not going to forgive you anymore. Okay, generally speaking, the answer is no. Generally speaking, God says, I will keep on forgiving you. In fact, you come to me, I'm telling you to forgive one another, not just seven times, but 70 times seven. I'm going to do that same thing with you. Now, I know, we all know that in First John, later on, he'll say, in some cases, there is a limitation when it gets real blatant. But generally speaking, for most of us, we're not living in such a blatant situation. We're living in a day-to-day life. We're trying to do what's right. We struggle, we go up and down, and yet we're still trying to do. How, where does God put a limitation for most of us who are trying to do what's right? There isn't a limitation. He's going to keep on forgiving us. He's going to keep on cleansing us. In fact, the passage says that if we confess, and it's the idea of confess over and over, not, not having to say, please forgive me of this lying repeatedly. It's the idea of all the sins, whatever they are, that each one of them we're confessing on a repeated basis. He is willing to forgive us, all because of Jesus Christ. Where chapter 2, he develops that thought, and he says that Jesus Christ is our... What word did we look at this morning? He's the mercy seat, the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours, but for the whole world. He also adds to it another thought. If you go to that verse, go to that, that first John, he gives, he gives another title to Christ. We didn't look at it this morning, but look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Right after this, he continues, says, My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. I don't want you to sin, but if you do, you can confess. But that doesn't mean just because you confess, that gives you a green light to go out and sin. Do you understand that, that tie together here? He isn't saying because we can, we can be forgiven, then let's just go out and take advantage of it. He's saying, no, 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 that's not our attitude. Our attitude is because we're for, we have forgiveness, we don't want to sin. But if we do, if we fall and fumble and stumble and offend him, then we can ask for forgiveness and he'll forgive us time and time and time again out of his grace. Why is that? He says, not because we are wanting to rampantly go out and sin. God forbid that we would do that. But if any man does sin multiple times, repeatedly, you know, pick your besetting sin. Pick the thing that you struggle with. Maybe it's temper. Maybe it's honesty. Maybe you struggle with jealousy. Maybe you struggle with the lack of, of purity. Maybe you struggle with a tongue that is given to gossip. Maybe you struggle with, you know, whatever it may be. Okay? In this passage, he's saying, if any man does repeatedly sin, we have a what? What's the, ne- the other word he gives Christ? We have an advocate. We have an advocate. Now look at your footnotes. Look at what your Bible says. What is an advocate? 
Does anybody have the term, a, a footnote for this? An intercessor? Is that what your Bible says? Okay. Anyway, he's talking to Christians, to remind you. And he's saying, we, who are believers, we have an advocate. The word that is used here for advocate is this word, okay? The idea is, the advocate is a paracleton. Does that sound like another word in the New Testament that you've heard before? A paraclete. Do you remember who is called a paraclete? Not a parakeet, okay, but a paraclete or paracletos. Anybody remember where else that's used in the New Testament? It's remember, it's the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, 15, and 16, we have it translated, I will not leave you comfortless. The word for paraclete is basically very simply somebody who comes beside Somebody who comes to hold you up, to help you, to gird you up. In legal terms, what might this be? Who might, the, might we call a paraclete? Okay, the lawyer. The lawyer who is supposed to be defending us. Not accusing us, but defending us. And so in this text, he's talking about that idea that even you and me, who we struggle... Again, we who are believers, we're not going out and purposely trying to sin and to live in a sinful lifestyle. We're trying to live pure, but we do sin at times. We have an advocate. He doesn't abandon us. He stands for us. He stands beside us. And he pleads our case as we say, God the Father, please forgive me. Jesus pleads. Who's accusing us? Satan's accusing the brethren night and day. But who stands beside us in heaven, so to speak, and defends us? Jesus Christ. Do you realize what, the, what that means? The Lord is defending you, me, this week in heaven when we blew it. When we went to the Lord and asked for forgiveness, and Satan would have God to turn against us and to pull away our salvation. Jesus is our defense attorney in heaven. And you didn't even pay him for it. He's the public defender, the believer's defender, by his grace, by his goodness. And is he persuasive with the Father? That's a great answer, right? He and the Father are one. And so Jesus is defending, and he says it very clearly in this text. And it's interesting. We have an advocate. Isn't it interesting, the titles and the description? Jesus, the righteous one. Isn't that amazing? Jesus would defend us even though he is sinless. He, the sinless one, would defend, would come to the defense of sinful creatures. Why? Because of his love for us, because of his grace for us. Aren't you glad it is still available by Jesus still willing to forgive, defend you, and to come by your side? It's an amazing thought, this forgiveness, that Jesus Christ doesn't give up on us even though we fall repeatedly. Grace. Grace, grace, goodness of God. Number three, it is for all. It is for all. You know, we were talking about, several of us went out for lunch today, and we were talking about Pennsylvania Dutch has some weird phrases. Okay? Did you notice that? Okay. Did you know Pennsylvania Dutch has those things like out in the light? You know, they have the thing like throw Papa down the stairs his hat. You know, they, you know, they... they they say these things, you know, these phrases. One of the phrases that frequently comes up that is very peculiar to this region, when something is, is there's no more, what do people say around here? It's all. And the rest of us who are in, you know, come from outside, we go, it's all what? <laughs> yeah, 
what do you mean it's all? That's like saying, do you want to go with? There's more to that sentence. Okay, but it's all. Now, I know that that's not quite the way it is here, but that's the way I'm using it in the sense that it's for all. What are we talking about? For what? All what? Think this through. Okay, when we say that God's forgiveness, God's grace is for all, what does that encompass? How many of us does it encompass? All of us. How many of our sins? All of them. Isn't that profound? It is for every one of us. Remember, this is written to believers. We've already highlighted that. We said that we is used multiple times. But if you go further in the book and just keep on reading, he says several times, I ran into the little children. Is he talking about little kids who are in first and second grade? Physical children? Maybe, but more likely he's talking to who? Yeah, young believers, baby Christians. And in that same text, he says, I'm writing unto you fathers. What's he mean by that? Probably the more mature believers. Then he writes, he says, I write unto you the young men. Those who are in their spiritual life, they're, they're defending the faith, they're out in the battle. Those who are, who are growing. And so he talks about, I'm writing this to you, and he gives us different facets, different age groups throughout chapter 2 which seems to me that he's encompassing everybody within that body. Not just the males, but the female, whatever, from a spiritual sense, wherever you're at in your spiritual life. By the way, do older people in the faith, do they still struggle with sin? The answer is yes. Do baby Christians struggle with sin? Yes, we do. When we, those of us during that time. Do middle-aged Christians, you know, as they're growing in their Christian life, do they struggle? All of us do. And so who's he writing to? All of us that have believed. And he's saying, no matter where your level is in your Christian life, God is willing to forgive all of us on a daily basis of our sin that offends him day after day after day. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. You just didn't say, okay, I'll forgive only those who have been saved 10 years or more. Thank you, God, that you didn't do that. Thank you that you didn't say, I'm going to forgive baby Christians only because they don't know any better. Anybody saved over 10 years? I'm not going to forgive you anymore. Thank God he didn't do that. Thank him that he was still gracious. And then when we talk about this idea for all sins, he uses that idea of sins plural, which is all-encompassing, whatever you want to throw in there. And again, we are not advocating the idea, let's go out and sin because God will forgive us. Should we sin that grace may abound? God forbid, Romans chapter 6. Should we go out and sin? I'm writing not unto you to go out and sin. He makes that clear in verse 1. But he says, I will forgive all sins without any limitations given in this text, without any specifications, without any numbers given. And he says, I will cleanse you from all unrighteousness, all of it, whatever it may be. Our God is so gracious. He is so patient with us. What a, what a grandfather in heaven he is for us. That he would not just wipe us out who should know better. Who should, who, those of us who, who have been saved for a period of time, and we, we know our, those of you, there's more of you probably here in this category than any who grew up in Christian homes. Some of us didn't. Some of you from little on, you grew up in a Christian home. You knew what was right. And yet, even as an adult, as a young adult, or as, a, as you grow over in years, you still sometimes struggle with your temper, your anger, your, your attitude towards somebody. And he says, I'm going to forgive you. I still will forgive you if you come with a broken heart, a repentant heart before me. 
I'm not jeopardizing your salvation. We understand that. But your fellowship, your daily blessings. Come, and I'll forgive you so that we can go on. There's a story of a young man who, he was in the Midwest, and he embarrassed his family greatly. What he had done is he committed some type of crime that ended up he was in prison for two, three years. His family in this small little town, his family became disdained by the rest of the community. It caused them great hurt, great harm, not only in their inner hearts, but also in the reputation of the community. And so there wasn't much correspondence that happened between the young man and his parents because they were so hurt. But in time, they tried to write, but he, he wasn't writing back. He wasn't responding because he felt such shame for what he had done. Now he gets out of prison. And he's thinking, I want to go home. I want to see mom and dad, but I don't know if they'll accept me. So he wrote them a letter and he told them, he said, I'm going to come through on the bus and I'm going to come through somewhere in this week. If you would be open for letting me stop at the house, despite the shame that I've caused you, besides the hurt that I caused you, if you're willing to see me, put some type of a mark out there that I can see as I come down the street. Put a ribbon on a tree. We had a big tree out front in his yard. He knew it was there. He says, put the ribbon out. Put the bow out there, and that'll indicate you want me to stop. The day is coming now. He's on the bus, and he's so agitated, so nervous about this. An older lady was riding with him in the seat next to him. She noticed his agitation. She asked him if he was okay, and he explained what his venture was, that he was going through his hometown. The bus would go right through Main Street, which was the only street in town. It was so small, and he didn't know if he was going to you know, signal, let me off, or just keep on riding. It all depended on what they would see at that tree. And so he says, as he was getting closer and closer and closer... This lady said, I'm sure your family will want to see you. I'm sure, and he's going, I'm getting so nervous, I can't look. So he shut his eyes, and he asked this sweet old lady, said, would you look to see? My house is coming up, it's the next block. Would you point out if there's a signal for me to stop or not? And as they got closer, she says, young man, I told you they want to see you. There's not one ribbon, there are ribbons all over that tree. That's the way God is with us. That's God's grace to us. That God wants us to have fellowship with him. So much so that he is willing to say, come back. Come back again. I'll forgive you. Come back. Your sins and your iniquities will I remember no more. I will forgive you. I will cleanse you. Let me add another thought. It is for sure, for certain. God is faithful and just, he says, who will forgive us our sins. Sometimes we get this idea. That's a wrong concept. We get the idea that, okay, my forgiveness is based upon my sincerity. Well, there's some truth to that, but it's based on the way I ask forgiveness. It's based on how much remorse I show. It's based on a certain phraseology. You know this forgiveness that comes by God, this grace that comes by God, it isn't based upon us at all, other than we have to confess What is the beauty of this grace? It is certain, not because of us, it is certain because of God. God, he says, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. How would you describe this? What words would you use where he's saying, God is faithful, faithful to forgive you? What does that mean, God is faithful? What's the author getting at? Any ideas? What's that? You can count on him? Anything else? Okay. What would you say, Mick? He's trustworthy? I'm sorry? He's dependable? He keeps his word. 
just, what does that mean, faithful? Well, it's, it has that idea that he is willing, he is able. It has the idea that he is reliable, he is dependable. It has the idea that he's not pulling our legs. Do you remember we were talking about, remember how we use phrases sometimes? Do you remember missionary Let Lava several years ago was here speaking? And he said he was speaking in Washington. He's from the Philippines. And he wasn't familiar with our phraseology. Do you remember that he's talking about he's sitting at a banquet and he's talking to people at this missionary banquet and the lady says to him, oh, you're pulling my leg. He jumped up and said, lady, I haven't touched you. Okay. We, that's not what is it, physical. We're talking about the idea of tricking somebody. Is God tricking us by saying, I'll forgive you? No. No, not at all. He's not going to be flip-flopping. Did, did we hear any flip-flopping in the last few weeks? Where, where different people promised one thing and then they flipped based upon... Does God flip-flop here? God isn't campaigning for your affections. God isn't camp- out there and trying to just win a popularity poll with you. God is saying, hey, listen, your affection I deserve because of what I've done for you. And I, this is who I am. I am light. I am pure. I am holy. I am faithful. What I say is true. I'm not changing. I am faithful. I am not going to give in to pressures. I am faithful. I promised you that I'm going to forgive you. Satan's going to put the pressures on me. He's going to put the screws on, so to speak. I'm not giving in. I am faithful to you. I promised you that I will forgive. Romans chapter 8. I, I know that before sake of time we're going to run out, but please go to Romans 8 with me. This is the appropriate time that we just flip over there, remind ourselves as believers as we come to communion this evening what Romans chapter 8 is all about. Romans 8 is all about well, how does God feel about the sinner who is struggling in chapter 7? Who shall deliver me? Well, there's no condemnation. Well, if there's no condemnation, but is God still for me? Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, where he goes down and he gets into that, conf- that conversation, verse 31. What shall we say to these, all these things? He says, if God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? It is Christ that died, ye rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of the Father. Not trying to condemn us, but what is he doing? He is living to make intercession for us. So his conclusion, who shall separate us from the love of God? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. Is God going to say to us, you're too ugly, you're too poor, you stink? The answer is, you're, you're, you're too beaten up. You're too battered. No. It is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than, not because of us, We are more than conquerors. What's the next phrase? Through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from what? The love of God. Which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God's faithful. But not only is he faithful, why does he use the word just? 
The word just is the word righteous. What does that mean when it comes to forgiveness? Why is this a critical word? What's that, somebody? Unbiased? Somebody here? Okay, because he's following, he's doing it. It's just not um, flippant. It's because everything is met. When we think just, here's what we think about. He's not changing the rules. Do you, do you ever play games with somebody to change the rules? We told you about our granddaughter when she was in Michigan visiting. And it was, they were playing um, Uno. And you have those draw fours, okay, that you get the other person. She put one down that didn't match the colors. And when she says, you can't do that, you can't put a red on a yellow. She says, in Michigan, you can. Yeah. <laughs> The rules change, okay? God doesn't change the rules, okay? The idea that God's not showing favoritism. He's just towards us. The idea that he's not going to be biased. The idea that he's going to be fair in this. He's not going to find some legal loophole to say, hey, I didn't like you after all. Yeah, I'm going to find some way to condemn. He's not going to respond in anger. Sometimes we lose our justness as parents in correcting kids because we respond more in temper or outrage. You know, God doesn't do that. There's a story that comes out of the Mideast, and it's, it's all a complicated story, but the gist of it is this man who is a blacksmith is making a chain. The camper ordered him to make a chain. He brings it back, says, make it longer, makes it longer, comes back. Then he shows him the chain. The emperor, after he sends him away several times and says, make it longer, make it longer, when he brings it back, the emperor is so upset that there's a, there's a blemish in the chain. He says, chain this man up who made the thing. Just he reacted in anger. Does God ever do that with us? No. He isn't, he isn't fickle like some drivers are. He isn't random in his emotion. He is just. He is faithful. Forgiveness is sure because it relies upon a person who is totally holy and righteous, but it is conditional. If we confess our sins, what does it mean to confess? When I grew up, it was being go to the priest, get into that confessional, and make sign across, say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been so many months since my last confession. And then I had to lay out how many times I disobeyed mom and dad, how many times I may have said a cuss word, how many times I may have thought something evil, and we had to put numbers to it. And we were lying through the whole thing because who knows the numbers? Okay. But that was confession to us. It was just ritualistic. What is confession to you? To agree with God. To agree with God. That's exactly what the word is. The word comes from the idea is take the same side as somebody else. That you're going to agree with that person on a political issue, on some other issue, or eventually it came to mean to say the same thing. That both of you, we would both say the same thing. We would agree on this. If we were going to confess together, the temperature in this room is perfect. <laughs> You're all looking at me odd. Okay. We normally don't confess that in this room because some of you think it's hot. Some of you think it's, some of you think it's just right. Okay. Confess means we agree together on something that is real. Okay. Not the temperature in this room, but about sin. Confess is to say the same thing. Come on, in, teens. The confess is to say the same thing God says about our sin. And let's take this. Losing your temper when you're driving would be sin, according to Ephesians 5. You have to agree with God if you're going to confess. That's true. It's sin. 
that's where we struggle. We don't want to say my lie is offensive, but lying is offensive. Losing your temper and disciplining your kids in, in anger and causing them to stumble to sin, causing your kids to have anger, that's sin. Okay? Gossiping is sin. And he's saying, he's calling us to say, okay, we have to say the same thing about what God said. In other words, adopt his viewpoint without excuse, without claiming I'm the victim, without claiming that it wasn't my fault. But hey, I did it. I lied. I cheated. I failed to give out the word of God. I used his name in vain. Without excuse, God, what you say, you are right. Me losing my temper with my wife, that was wrong. I'm not going to try to cover it up. I'm not going to try to explain it away. It was wrong. It was sin. And so to confess has this idea. And want you to catch this. And we'll get into our communion in a moment. The teens, just follow along with where we're at in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. When he says confess our sins, can I make some observations as we wind down? Make this observation. You've got to make it personal. Confess our sin, my sins. There's a revival meetings. And in this revival meetings, this man came forward and said, I've been walking away from the Lord. I haven't been living right, doing what was right. And he came and he talked to the counselor. And so he says, can I pray with you? I got to get my heart right with God. So they went into the side room and as they were praying, this man started off. He says, God, we come before you asking you to forgive us our sins. The counselor was wise. He said, hold it, buddy. Stop. We're not here to confess my sins. You said you needed to confess your sins. Leave me out of whatever you've been involved in. Okay? You need to confess your sins. Not, not stuff that... I, I, I've not been involved with the stuff you told me you were involved in. Don't do the we business. Okay? I, I know there's a moment where we pray and say nationally. But what we're talking about in this text is personal confession. It's yours. Own it as yours. As well, be realistic. Don't do one of these things when you're daily praying to the Lord, asking for forgiveness. Don't do, God, if I have ever disappointed you. It's not if. It's I have. I have driven like an idiot at times. So God forgive me because I lost my temper there. It's not if I have ever gotten upset with my spouse. Okay? Deal with what is real. As well, be specific. God, forgive us all of our sins. He is saying if we confess our sins, plural, I think what he's driving at is, I should name those things. I should not just say, okay, forgive me of everything I've ever done this whole day. I should pause and reflect and say, that was sin. That was sin. What is the advantage of Listing, highlighting the sins that you've got engaged in. Is there any benefit to it? You're not sure. You are recognizing it is sin. There is a benefit to say, hey, losing my temper, instead of just saying, oh, well, God, forgive me for everything. God, forgive me for losing my temper with my wife. What will that do the next time? I'm tempted. It'll help me to pause. It should help me to pause. To take and list it and really acknowledge that was wrong. Not just, I've done some wrong. That was wrong. That was wrong. That was wrong. 
So in this confession, let me encourage you to understand that there is benefit to it. The benefiting conclusion is that ideas, he is going to cleanse us. In Sunday school, we've been talking, if you've not been in my class, of becoming more like Jesus Christ, becoming holier than, holy like him. He is the righteous one. And so keeping this in mind, he is called the righteous one. What does God promise to cleanse us from in verse 9? Cleanse us from all that is contrary to Jesus Christ. Everything that goes against Jesus Christ. So not only is forgiveness coming, but also God is going to cleanse me, sanctify me, make me more like Christ. Follow this thought as we wind down. The idea in this passage is there is a process in Christian growth. There, it isn't instantaneous that I go and say, forgive me my sins this day, this week, you know, before, be, like, like through the night, waking up and confessing, making sure I'm right before communing, before preaching this day. And it doesn't mean that, okay, I've confessed this one time and boom, now I am perfectly sinfully, sinlessly holy. No, there's going to be an ongoing process that even tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, he's going to be cleansing and working in me to make me more like Jesus Christ. It's a process. It's going to last for how long that God is going to make me more like Christ? How long is this process happening? It's going to happen the rest of my life, the rest of your life. But remember this in this from this text. It, can, it will not continue to happen if you don't, first of all, confess. If you don't confess, you've stopped the sanctification process. God wants to make you more like Christ, but if you refuse to have a time of getting alone with Him and confessing, you, you've, you put a roadblock into your sanctification, to your growing to become more like Jesus Christ. The unrighteousness is not going to be removed because you haven't gotten rid of it through, first of all, forgiveness of God Almighty. You've got to ask for forgiveness. You've got to confess that so he forgives you. Then he has this process of this idea. And you know what's interesting about this book? This book has one purpose. It is written to believers to make sure that they understand that they have eternal life. In other words, the security of the believer. Throughout this book, he talks about here's different signs of how to know you're truly saved. Do you understand what this section we just dealt with is? This section says that unless you're giving yourself to regular cleansing before the Lord, you may not have the truth in you. If there is no sensitivity to sin on a daily basis, you may not have the truth in you. In other words, you may not be saved. That's a profound thought that says we need to have a sensitivity on a regular basis. So... We need to get a grip on this forgiveness. That forgiveness means get a grip on what our salvation is all about. It is the beginning process of growing to be more like Christ. So there were some other things I want to talk about. We'll, we'll deal with it at another time. We want to get ready for communion. And what a perfect time to say, hey, with this communion service, we want to make sure we're right with Christ.